bow your heads and pray together with me. Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think as together we meditate on your word for us, your will for our lives, your plan for our lives. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O oh God, who's indeed our rock and our redeemer, who gives us incredible joy. Amen. So there's a Bible passage in the New Testament that's always kind of bothered me. It's, uh, it's in the book of Philippians, and Paul is writing to the Philippian church, but he's also, by extension, writing to all of us as believers. And he says this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and just then to make sure we heard him right, he says, again, I say it, rejoice. Now, here's why this verse has always kind of bothered me, because there are some times when Paul says that, and it's easy for me to rejoice, right? There's a lot of good things going on in my life, and I go, okay, yeah, I can rejoice, that's great. But there are times when things aren't going so great in life, when I'm going through some struggles or some difficulties, and then when Paul says rejoice, I want to go, well, who are you to tell me to rejoice? You don't know anything about what's going on in my life. How, how can I possibly rejoice with this stuff going on? Do you ever feel the same way? Now, there's another verse in the Old Testament that makes me think maybe there's something else going on here, though. And this is from Psalm 40, verse 16, where it talks about, the psalmist talks about two things. He talks about rejoicing and being happy. And, and so that's my question uh, as we sit here on this third Sunday in Advent. Is there a difference between rejoicing and being happy? Happy. Now, I, I know those words get used as synonyms a lot. Joy and happiness, laughter, smiling. You know, you can add a whole pile of words that, that we kind of all use interchangeably just to talk about, you know, the same kind of emotion. But I would argue that as we study scripture, and by the way, psychologists would say as they study life itself, what they find is that there are two different concepts, and, and we might use the word happiness to describe one and joy to describe the other. And now my question is, in the words that we heard from Mary earlier, uh, read in the service, uh, she's just visited Elizabeth, her cousin. She's already been told by the angel she's going to give birth, she's going to get pregnant and give birth to this baby who's going to be uh, the Messiah, the Son of God. And now she goes to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, by the way, did you notice, recognizes that her baby, Elizabeth calls that baby my Lord. She says, who are you that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb, recognizing the presence of Jesus in Mary. And, uh, and then Mary uh, begins this thing we call the Magnificat, this, this song of praise to God. And at the very beginning, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And my question is, which concept is she talking about here? Is she talking about happiness or is she talking about joy? Well, we've got to understand more about them before we can tell, right? So, uh, so let's start with happiness. Let's talk a little bit about this concept of happiness, what happiness means. And, and maybe the best way for me to explain it to you is to talk about what makes me happy, okay? So, uh, so here are some things that make me happy. When my son is in town and he and my wife and I can go out to dinner somewhere and just get a pizza and just sit around and hang out together... That really makes me happy, okay? I, I feel great. I feel very happy when that happens, okay? Or um, when the little ball drops into the cup. I feel happy, okay? A lot of you guys know I love to golf. I do it a lot. And, uh, and here's one of the things I've learned. The further I was from the hole when that happens, the happier I am, right? 
I actually got a hole in one earlier this year. I was 195 yards away. I was really happy when that happened, okay? All right. So here's another thing that makes me happy. Serving makes me happy. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we had a chance, our small group uh, had a chance to go serve together for Feed My Starving Children. How many of you had a chance to do that that day as part of our Advent conspiracy this year? Yeah, it was great. We got to go and pack meals for people um, and, uh, and just serving together with other people uh, that are part of our small group made me really happy. In fact, it made me so happy, I'm the only idiot that left his hairnet on for the picture there. So, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we, that, that really made me happy. Here's another thing that makes me happy. This, doing what I'm doing right now, preaching. I love to help people learn what God's word has to say for their lives. I love to kind of open up the scriptures and help people uh, grow to understand them and internalize the messages of scripture more. So when it's a weekend where I know I'm going to get a chance to preach at one of our four sites, it makes me happy. I really enjoy doing that. But now what doesn't make me happy, okay? All right, so here are some things that don't make me happy. When the little white ball goes in the water hazard, that doesn't make me so happy, okay? Um, when I have a romantic dinner alone with my laptop, that doesn't necessarily make me happy, uh, you know, just eating alone. That's, that's not a lot of fun for me. I'm, I'm more of an, uh, you know, extrovert. I, I like having people around. Um, while I love my job, Putting together the annual spreadsheet for the budget for Trinity does not make me happy, okay? Um, I, I love what I do, but I'd rather preach than do a spreadsheet any day, okay? So those things don't make me happy. Now, here's the interesting thing. Did you notice how some of those things almost go hand in hand? I mean, actually, I've hit the ball in the water hazard and then in the hole on the same hole, right? And, uh, and, uh, and so one minute I'm happy, the other minute I'm not happy, but do you notice that's kind of a key to this idea of happiness, that happiness is rooted in our external circumstances. So whether I'm happy or sad um, depends on what is happening in the world around me, okay? Now, as I said before, psychologists um, acknowledge this idea that there's a difference between happiness and joy. And I love this quote. This is from one uh, psychologist who studied this quite a bit, one by the name of Barbara Fredrickson. And this is what she says. She says, joy and happiness seem similar, but they're very different. Uh, look at the last two lines for a second. She says, happiness is external. It's triggered by people, things, places, thoughts, and events, right? That's what we've just been talking about. But now back up a little bit. Notice what she says about joy. She says joy is different because joy is internal. And then she says it comes when you make peace with who you are. All right, think about that for a second. So, so let's, let's unpack that a little bit more. Um, so happiness is an external feeling based on circumstances. Joy is an internal attitude that defies our circumstances. Think, think about that again. So happiness is a feeling where joy is not a feeling, it's an attitude, okay? Happiness is external, it's based on the circumstances that are happening around me, where, where joy, that attitude of joy is internal, and often it is there in, in spite of, it defies the circumstances around me, okay? So just, again, one more time, happiness comes from the outside, joy comes from the inside. And so back to Paul's verse that bothered me a little in Philippians 4. If, if he's talking about happiness, then, then you can have a right to say, well, Paul, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't be happy. Look at my circumstances. But if Paul's talking about joy, 
Well, then he can say rejoice in the Lord always because what he's talking about is an attitude that comes from inside of us. So let's talk about Mary, all right? That's uh, the text that we're looking at together today. You know, before the angel comes to announce that Mary's gonna be pregnant and give birth miraculously to to the coming Messiah, uh, before that happened, and by the way, we're going to study that event next week. That's the traditional text for the fourth Sunday in Advent. We'll be looking at that announcement by the angel next week. But before that happens, Mary really had a lot to be happy about in her life. The circumstances of her life were really pretty good. She had a wonderful family that she was in there in Nazareth. And, and, and remember, family for them in those days would have been the big extended family. They all kind of lived right together. So aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, nephews, nieces, uh, grandparents, uh, brothers, sisters, everybody all together in the village there. And, and, and she would have had this wonderful life together with her family. Um, Mary also, by the way, is betrothed to be married to an amazing man, this guy named Joseph. And, and we say betrothed, that's a little different than an engagement, right? Today, couples get engaged, and if they decide to break off the engagement, it's no big deal. Uh, that's not a problem. But, but in those days, being betrothed, it was a big deal. It was, uh, you had to get divorced before you could break that betrothal. Now, you weren't married yet. That came later. Uh, but, but you were betrothed, you were promised to be married, and, uh, and Mary is promised to be married to an amazing guy. We're told in Matthew's gospel that, that Joseph was seen as a just man. In other words, he's a man who uh, everybody in the village knew worked very hard to do the right thing. To, to follow God's rules, to follow God's plan. He had a prominent position in the community and, and he's gonna be her husband. So she, that's, that's a happy circumstance in her life. And, uh, and she lived in Nazareth, which was kind of a backwater town, but, but that was actually a good thing because remember, they live under Roman occupation. And uh, if you lived in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, that was a very difficult thing. The, the Roman rule there was tough. But in, in, the, in the backwater areas, they were largely forgotten most of the time time. And so they, they might even go months without seeing a Roman soldier. Their life was easier that because they lived kind of in an out-of-the-way place. So Mary had a lot to be happy about in her life. And then the angel announces that she's going to be miraculously pregnant and give birth to this baby. And all of a sudden, she's got a lot not to be very happy about in her life. Because that announcement would have changed the circumstances of her life dramatically. First of all, again, imagine Joseph. We just saw that little clip. That's from a movie, by the way, called The Nativity Story. It's a great uh, movie if you want to see the, the Christmas story played out. Wonderful uh, telling of it. And, and so, so now, you know, Mary shows up after a visit to Elizabeth, and it's obvious to everybody in the village that something has changed. And they're looking at Joseph like, did you do it? And Joseph's looking at her going, I know I didn't do it. What did you do? And her parents are looking at her. Imagine the the impact on her family and on her reputation in the village. I mean, if Joseph was really going to do what he was supposed to do, he would have called the town elders together, brought Mary before them, accused her of being unfaithful, and uh, broken off uh, the betrothal. They would have gotten divorced. She would have been shamed. Under Old Testament law, she could have been stoned to death, although on the Roman law, they wouldn't have allowed that to happen. But, but think how this dramatically changed the circumstances of her life. All of a sudden, Mary has a lot to be unhappy about. And in fact, we know the rest of the story. We know it's going to get worse. 
after she gives birth to Jesus. Remember, we looked at that story from Simeon a couple of weeks ago. And do you remember one of the things Simeon said to her? He said her heart was going to be pierced because of this. And someday Mary is going to stand at the foot of the cross and watch her son, her baby boy, get crucified on that cross. Mary had a lot to not be happy about. And yet, she goes to visit Elizabeth, and in this exchange with Elizabeth, there there isn't necessarily happiness, but there is joy. And, And again, Mary uses these words. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Back to the quote from uh, Barbara Fredrickson. Notice what what she's saying. She says, joy is internal. It comes when you make peace with who you are. And I think she mostly got that right. I would argue that it's just a little bit different than that. How, How could Mary be joyful knowing all these difficulties she's about to face? Well, remember her words. This is what Mary had to say. This is why Mary is joyful. This is why she says her spirit is rejoicing in God, her Savior. She says, he, he, she's talking about God. She says, God has done great things for me. God has shown me mercy. He's extended his mighty arm and done tremendous things for me and for his people. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has remembered to be merciful because he made promises to our ancestors. That Magnificat is just rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal of all the wonderful things that God has done for Mary and for his people. So back to that quote again. This is how I would change it. Instead of saying joy is internal, it comes when you make peace with who you are, I would say a better way of saying it is joy is internal, it comes when you make peace with who your God is. The thing that makes the difference for Mary, even though she knows her life is not necessarily going to be happy, the circumstances of her life, in fact, are going to be very difficult, she still has joy because she knows who her God is. So what about you? What about all of us as we prepare to celebrate Christmas uh, together this year? As we get ready to, uh, to, to get the decorations all up and to cook, bake all the cookies and to, uh, to cook the holiday meals and to buy the presents and to, to spend time with family and with friends this holiday season, Are the circumstances of your life such that you're pretty happy today? Great. But maybe they're not. Maybe it's going to be a tough Christmas this year. Maybe somebody you love isn't going to be with you this year at Christmas, either because they've died or the circumstances of life means they can't bathe there. Maybe financially things aren't so great this Christmas and you're not sure how merry a Christmas it's going to be. Uh, Maybe there's stress in in your career or in your work. Uh, Maybe it's relationships that are strained, whatever it is, what if the circumstances of your life this Christmas aren't really going to make for a very merry Christmas at all? Is there a chance that joy can still be there? Well, Mary would say yes. I mean, think about this for a minute. If joy is really internal, if joy is really found in, in being at peace with who our God is, think about what you know about that God today. First of all, joy is found in a God who is merciful. Do you know what mercy literally means? It means we don't get what we deserve. You know, earlier in the service today, we all admitted that we are all sinners. 
And, uh, and often we think about sin as kind of on a continuum, right? There's, there's people that sin a little and people that sin a lot. There are small sins and there are big sins. And, uh, and, and we think about that, but, but that's not the way God thinks. Because you see, all sin, it, it, sin is kind of a yes or no question in God's eyes. We are either sinners or we're not. We are either perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect or we're not. And, and, and because of our sin, we fall short of the glory of God. That's what scripture says. But the good news is we have a God who is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Uh, joy is found in not only a God who is merciful, but in a God who keeps his promises. When, when Jesus was born, God kept a promise that went all the way back to the Garden of Eden when our first human beings, Adam and Eve, when, when they sinned, when they uh, broke God's plan, and, uh, and God made a promise then that he would send his son, that Messiah, that Redeemer who would rescue us from our sin, and he keeps that promise. You can look back at your life and you can see all the different promises that God has made you, that he has kept in your life. Joy is found in that. Joy is found in a God who saved me. Um, we were at a concert the other night, and, and one of the people in the concert said that they were so excited because they were celebrating that Jesus has come to, to show us how to live our lives. And that's true. Jesus did come to live a perfect life for us to try to emulate. But really, that only gets us so far, right? Jesus came for so much more than that. He came not just to show us how to live our lives. He came to give his life as a price for all those times we don't live our lives the right way. And, and not only did he die for our sins, but he rose again three days later to conquer sin and death so that we know that we have been rescued, we have been saved Folks, joy is found in a God who cares for us. Think about it. God, the creator of the universe, cares for you. He cares for you so much that he knows every detail about you. The Bible literally says that he knows how many hairs are on your head, even though for some of us that number changes almost daily, right? <laughs> he cares for you. He loves you. And, and he loves you so much that he has made you his. In the waters of your baptism, he looked at you and he said, you are my child. You, you are my forgiven child. I love you dearly and, uh, and, and I'm gonna keep my promises to you. I'm gonna rescue you. I'm gonna save you. You are mine. And finally, joy is found internally in, in the gift of God's spirit that lives in us. He has given me that gift of his spirit. See, on my own, I am not strong enough to be joyful no matter my circumstances, but I don't have to be because his spirit lives in me. It's his spirit that is joyful. It is his spirit that gives me hope and comfort and grace and peace. So we can rejoice. We can rejoice no matter what our circumstances. Have you heard the story of Horatio Spafford? He was a Chicagoan. He, uh, in the 1850s and 60s, uh, became a very prominent attorney and businessman here in the Chicago area. Uh, built a number of uh, properties and businesses down uh, near the lake. Um, owned a, a huge section of the, the downtown area. Um, very successful. In fact, he married his childhood sweetheart named Anna. They had five kids together, four little girls and a little boy. His life was amazingly happy. And then in 1870, all of that changed. First of all, uh, their little boy, their little four-year-old son died of scarlet fever in 1870. And then you know what happened in 1871, right? The Chicago fire. And uh, virtually all of his properties were devastated by that fire. All of his businesses were destroyed. 
So uh, he and Anna and their four daughters decided uh, that they needed to get away for a little while. Now, they were believers and uh, knew uh, Dwight Moody very well. And Moody was in Europe at the time on, on a crusade. And so they decided that it would be good for them to get away and go spend some time with Moody on that cr- crusade. So they booked passage on a ship and uh, were just getting ready to leave to head over to London um, when, uh, when Spafford had a business opportunity that he really needed to attend to. So he, he put his wife and his four daughters on the ship and sent them off and he remained behind for a few weeks to attend to business. A few days later, he got word that the ship had sunk. It was, one of the, it was at the time the largest naval disaster uh, and it stayed that until the Titanic sunk years later. And, uh, and then, um, eight days later, he received a telegram uh, from his wife, and it was just six words, and it said, survived alone, what do I do? All four of their daughters were killed. Well, can, as you can imagine, uh, Spafford uh, booked passage on the first ship he could get over so he could go be with his wife to help with the uh, funeral arrangements for their daughters and uh, to try to figure out how they could put their life back together. And uh, while he was on the ship on the way over, um, he, he, he was called up to the bridge by the captain, and the captain, uh, who knew the story, said to him, um, you know, we've, we've calculated and we figured it out. We think in just a moment here we're going to be approaching the exact place in the ocean um, where your daughters lost their lives. And Spafford was very quiet and just stood there on the bridge. And then he went to his cabin And in his cabin, he wrote the words to a hymn. It's a hymn you you may know. It starts like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And then the refrain just repeats those words over and over again, as if he's trying to convince himself it's true. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. See, Spafford understood that there is a difference between happiness and joy. There was no happiness in his life. But in those moments, there was a joy, a deep abiding joy that rested in his God. The second verse says this, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Folks, no matter what the circumstances of our lives, we may not be happy this Christmas, but we can be filled with joy. Joy that is rooted in our God and who he is and what he has done for us. Joy that is an attitude inside of us that cannot be affected by the circumstances of life around us. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, over the next few weeks, you're probably going to hear a lot of people say, Merry Christmas, right? And, uh, and by the way, if you're in Europe, they'll probably say, Happy Christmas. They say that a lot, okay? And uh, it's about the same thing. Merry Christmas, happy Christmas. And, and I hope you all have a happy Christmas. I hope you all have a merry Christmas this year. I hope uh, the, the Christmas ham is not dry. I hope the presents are all exactly what you want them to be. I hope you get to spend lots of time with your favorite relatives and not so much time with those that aren't your favorite relatives, right? And no, seriously, I, I hope the circumstances of your Christmas are happy this year. 
but they might not be, right? So, so here's what I pray for you. I pray for each and every one of you that whether you have a happy Christmas or not, that you will have a joyful Christmas, a Christmas that is filled with the joy of knowing a God who loves you dearly, who has rescued you, and, and that no one, nothing could ever take that away from you. Amen.